The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. The crisis in Afghanistan as suicide bombers and gunmen outside of Kabul's airport turn a dire situation into a deadly one. President Biden calling out those responsible for the attacks while doubling down on his calls to evacuate the Afghan capital. On Wall Street, investors on edge following those attacks and preparing for Jay Powell's comments at day two of Jackson Hole Symposium. Former Fed President Dennis Lockhart will be joining us in a couple minutes. Your big money mover this morning is Peloton as shares get hit hard in pre-market. Find out why coming up. And Apple bending to antitrust pressures when it comes to its app store. It is Friday, August 27th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Here's a look at how global markets are setting up the day. Stock futures were higher across the board. The S&P 500 did retreat from a fresh record high yesterday, snapping a five-day winning streak. Right now in pre-market, we're higher by 14 points. The Dow Jones Industrial, check it out, up 98 points in pre-market trade. Uh, Treasuries ahead of the speech from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. We're watching bond prices here. The 10-year yield currently at 1.34%, 30-year at 1.9%. The big action is in the commodity market. Oil prices are higher. We are following that tropical storm Ida bearing down on the Gulf Coast. Oil companies have been airlifting workers from Gulf of Mexico production platforms. Take a look at WTI crude on pace for its best week since February, up about 10%. Let's go worldwide, though, and look at how trading action is underway in Europe. Jamana Bersecchi in London with the latest. Hi, Jamana. Morning, Seema. Well, we are capping off a week of gains for the stock 600 as a whole. It is going to end up the week about four-tenths of a percentage point higher. But today, you can see most of these indices are searching for direction, treading on water uh, around the flat line here. So we've got the FTSE 100 in the UK up just a couple of points at three basis points higher. The miners are putting in a good performance. So are right at the top of that index. The Cacahont in France is down about eight basis points. And then Germany, you can see also a lot of focus this week. We had a bunch of macro data coming in suggesting that the economic slowdown has just begun, has just begun to bite at the economy. Uh, but then also we are one month away from those important German federal elections. Another poll today has put the center-left party ahead of Angela Merkel's CDU-CSU ruling party. So that is something to watch from a political standpoint. In terms of sectors, though, this is what we have in terms of gains, gainers and losers. At the bottom, we've got travel and leisure down about two-thirds of a percentage point, quite a volatile basket. The banks also trading slightly in negative territory, down about three-quarters of a percentage point today. I mentioned the miners are doing well. Basic resources are up three-quarters of a percentage point. And then we've got some of the defensives like real estate and food and bev also trading in the green. But like all markets everywhere, we're watching out for that Jackson Hole and uh, what Fed Chair has to say later on today. 
the global implications of the Fed. Jamana, thank you. Jamana Bersetchi. Let's get to some of the morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs here with the latest. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Seema. Apple says it will change its App Store policies, allowing developers to direct customers to payment options outside the Apple ecosystem, potentially helping app makers avoid the hefty fees Apple charges for online purchases made on its devices. The move as part of a proposed settlement linked to a 2019 class auction lawsuit marks the first major concession by the iPhone maker amid multiple antitrust investigations. The global economy could lose out on a reported $2.3 trillion in GDP because of COVID vaccine inequality. A report from the Economist Intelligence Unit says developing nations could stand to lose the most, around two-thirds of the losses. As of August 23rd, around 5 billion doses have been administered globally, but only about 15 million of those were in low-income countries. And Amazon Web Services says it will offer some customers free USB keys to help them more securely log into their accounts starting in October. The move follows CEO Andy Jassy's participation in Wednesday's White House Cyber Summit and, according to Amazon, demonstrates the increasing amount of corporate trust in physical hardware designed to prevent ransomware attacks. Major companies like Netflix and Airbnb rely on Amazon Web Services for cloud computing and data storage. So we're going back to USB keys to be secure. I guess you have to make sure you don't lose that key, Seema. Yeah, exactly. It seems like the opposite of the cloud. Uh, but anyways, an interesting development there. Bertha, thank you. And now a developing story this morning. Ongoing deterioration in Afghanistan. 13 U.S. service members and at least 60 Afghan nationals were killed by ISIS suicide bombers and gunmen outside of the international airport in, in Kabul yesterday. Of the now deceased service members, U.S. officials say 11 were Marines and one was a Navy medic. 18 other service members and 140 additional Afghans were wounded. In an emotional speech yesterday evening, President Biden said the U.S. will complete its mission of evacuating Americans and their allies from the country, adding the U.S. will not be deterred by terrorists. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans in there. We will get our Afghan allies out. And our mission will go on. America will not be intimidated. In Kabul, the Taliban are condemning the attack and ISIS, but they are also blaming the Americans, saying if the military presence wasn't there, it wouldn't be a magnet for extremism. And they think once the Americans leave, they will be able to reimpose order. Much more on this story coming up throughout this morning. Let's turn to the markets. The reaction futures uh, are looking positive despite the events overseas. Investors focusing on a big day ahead with a taper being the big word of the day at the virtual Jackson Hole Symposium. Multiple Fed presidents telling CNBC yesterday that they do think it is time for tapering, but the question among them is when. That might be answered when Fed Chair Jerome Powell speaks today at 10 a.m. Eastern. Joining us now, 
Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management, and John Stolfis, chief investment strategist at Oppenheimer Asset Management. Gentlemen, it's good to have you on. A big day for the market, John. I'll start with you. How do you think uh, Powell approaches this question around taper? Does he start by being noncommittal, or do you think he'll be direct and say exactly when we could expect the Fed to move? Uh, Seema, thanks for having me on this morning. We've got to think here that uh, Jerome Powell is likely to give at least some tidbits of a hint as to uh, what is forthcoming in terms of tapering. We don't think it'll be very specific. We think they're going to wait for the FOMC meeting for that. Uh, But we do believe that the the market will be watching today and listening. And Jerome Powell knows that. Uh, The Fed is very sensitive to uh, the status of the economy, both weaknesses and strength. We think they've managed this fairly well so far, and we think they will continue to. So all eyes and ears for Jackson Hole, 10 a.m. this morning. Ryan, how do you expect Powell to approach this topic of the taper? Yeah, I'm with John on this. I think that uh, we may get some indication on the tapering, um, but also we still have this huge uh, human infrastructure package that may get passed on Capitol Hill. So I suspect the Fed here is probably going to hold off on any real indications till we know how much stimulus is actually going to be pumped into the economy. So when we know the fiscal situation, I think we'll see more in the monetary situation. But at the end of the day, look, it's coming. Uh, Whether it's next month, whether it's the beginning of next year, at some point here, we're going to see tapering. We're going to see the Fed start to raise interest rates. And the bottom line is the economy is starting to rock. Um, Once this Delta variant starts to subside a little bit and we see the reopening with, you know, schools back in September, and basically we start to see a lot of these unemployment benefits come off, a lot of people back in the workforce, the economy's going to run hot. If the economy is running hot, John, uh, where do you put your money to work? I mean, consumer prices have certainly been on the rise with the exception of last month. Uh, right now, we, we continue to like information technology, consumer discretionary, industrials and financials. That gives us a barbell. Within those spaces, what we're looking is for growthier value and garpier uh, 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 growth. So it, it essentially growth at a reasonable price uh, relative to where tech is on valuations. But you want to be cyclicals over defensive. So you don't you want you don't want to uh, have great exposure to the defensives in here. And you want to be cyclically exposed. But you want to keep tech in here because it's a mix of growth and value. It's what investors have been showing us what they want, broader diversification as we move towards a uh, economic recovery stateside and likely uh, a sustainable uh, economic expansion next year. Uh, Ryan, John makes an interesting point. If you look at the sectors that have been growing their earnings per share this quarter, it, it's the industrials, which are up 33 percent year to date, and technology. Do you stick with these sectors or because of uh, the geopol- geopolitical situation or overseas, is it time to get more defensive? Um, I think I actually get a bit more offensive here on the international side uh, as well. So, no, I actually agree with John here. I think cyclicals are a good place to be. Uh, But also this year, I mean, you'd be surprised to know the French stock market's actually outperforming the Nasdaq right now. Hmm. So I think if you're going to allocate capital here, uh, not only do you want to own U.S. companies, I think, John, you're right, you'll continue to own tech in here, but also own those cyclical stocks. But I also would look overseas as well. Valuations are a lot cheaper um, and we know, you know, France is not the hotbed of technology. Um, but, you know, if you look at old school cyclical companies, that's a lot of what Europe is. And you start looking at valuations overseas, they're much cheaper than the U.S. And Europe's on fire right now. And it's almost like been a curse word to own Europe in your portfolio the last decade. But I think right now and moving forward, 
it's a great place to own, uh, you know, allocate capital in your portfolio. John, international, where would you put money to work, especially at a time where we are seeing the, this crisis unfolding in Afghanistan? Well, we're overweight uh, U.S. markets. We have meaningful exposure both to international developed markets as well as to emerging markets with a preference for the developed international markets first off. But we think uh, the strength, relative strength of the dollar has made it tough uh, when translating returns back into the back into the U.S. currency for U.S. investors. So uh, while we, we like the international markets, uh, we are still we want meaningful exposure because we think as the U.S. proves that its economic recovery will lead to a sustainable economic expansion, U.S. Uh, consumers are going to buy a lot of imported goods. That's big stuff for Europe with all the luxury items, uh, as well as consumer staples, uh, materials. Uh, energy, et cetera, which should be good for that as well. But, but we, John, we remain overweight U.S. Just addressing the situation in Afghanistan, I mean, do you think this becomes a bigger risk for emerging markets, the neighboring countries uh, around it? Uh, at, this, at this point, uh, it, it's really a, a situation to monitor. We have escalation in terms of geopolitical risk and political risk. The, the risk at home is how Congress decides to spend its money. We're hoping it doesn't overstimulate the economy and lead to stickier inflation. Yeah, yeah we've already seen those uh, infrastructure talks uh, cool down this week as Afghanistan uh, becomes a bigger focal point. Gentlemen, thank you. We will have to leave the conversation there. John Stolfis and Ryan Payne. Thanks, Seema. And when we come back, much more on the developing situation in Afghanistan. Atlantic Council's Fred Kemp will weigh in. Plus, digging into China's air cargo nightmare as manufacturers look to skip the ship in favor of cargo jets without much luck. We're live in Beijing next. And later, details behind what we're calling the Peloton Plunge. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Time now for your big money movers for stock stories moving at this hour. And first up is Peloton, the company reporting better than expected fourth quarter earnings, uh, fourth quarter loss, although revenue did top forecasts. It also predicted first quarter sales will come in below estimates. Peloton is cutting the price of its core exercise bike by $400 and says profits will be impacted by higher commodity, shipping, marketing and operating costs. You can see shares are moving here down uh, about 8 percent. Stock two is Gap. Second quarter results beating estimates and the retailer is raising guidance for the year. CEO of the company says customers have been embracing summer with optimism, buying new clothes as vacations and reunions become a reality. The company also seeing a windfall from its tie up with Kanye West with 75 percent of pre-orders for the Yeezy Gap jacket coming from new customers. And the stock is up 6 percent here. 
The third stock is Dell. It reported better than expected second quarter earnings with revenue up 15 percent. That was driven by strong results from its commercial PC business, a shift from previous quarters. And finally, take a look at VMware shares. Uh, the stock is falling after the business software maker posted mixed second quarter numbers, license revenue beating forecasts, but subscription and software as a service revenue, the company's cloud business, that missed analyst estimates and shares are down about 5.8 percent. Coming up, a late-night ruling from the Supreme Court ending the Biden administration's eviction moratorium. Details on that next when Worldwide Exchange returns. Today's big number, $133 billion. That's how much money has been raised so far this year through 556 follow-on offerings, according to data from DealLogic. That's the most since 1996. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. With global supply chains still stretched to the max, some suppliers in China are looking at alternative means to get their goods out of the mainland and into customers' hands. But the struggle is real. Eunice Yoon joins us live from Beijing, the city's airport, for more on the story. Eunice. Thanks so much, CMO. Well, cargo workers here at the Beijing airport have told us that the quarantine protocols are extremely severe. The current policy is 1477. So 14 days of working in a bubble, then seven days of quarantine at a hotel, and then another seven days of isolation at home. In Shanghai, where there were six confirmed cases, uh, the protocols there are even tighter, where it's seven days of working in a bubble and then two weeks of quarantine. So supply chain expert Everstream told us that they believe these tight protocols are significantly constraining the capacity here. And in fact, they expect to see the rates rising to $20 a kilogram. That's five, about five times higher than in normal operations over the next few weeks. This is what the CEO told us. The intent of the zero tolerance policy is good. It, it contains an outbreak as quickly as possible. But the it, what it does is it immediately shuts down operations in major airports and carriers, and that's what creates the challenge. So um, no one can accurately predict you know, when an outbreak may hit. Logistics experts Seiko say that they think that air capacity is down about 40 percent since pre-pandemic times. Uh, they say that the most sensitive sectors are the ones that really depend on fast delivery. So this is fast fashion, electronics, as well as e-commerce. And they say that the average delay companies should expect is about two weeks. This is what the company said. Last quarter of this year is going to be a mad rush for air freight, uh, mainly because we did not expect this backlog to build up from now on. We thought it's going to be October, November, but with this situation, there's a huge backlog already. 
And Seiko says that air freight is being rerouted away from Shanghai to other airports around the country. And in fact, they expect to see a paradigm shift, they said, um, of all of these airports uh, as a result of these tighter protocols. Seema? Supply chain constraints are real. We're in the midst of earnings season and companies from John Deere, Ulta, the makeup retailer, even uh, Williams-Sonoma, the home decor company, all mentioning the supply chain constraints, how that is a risk, uh, especially given that they manufacture a lot of their products in China. Yeah, absolutely. It's And it's just for air cargo, you can just imagine that a lot of these manufacturers here in China um, already were dealing with some of the port issues, trying to get vessels, which are in short supply. Uh, their their uh, goods all stacking up, especially with the back to school, as well as the Christmas season coming. So a lot of these companies were already concerned, and now they have to uh, worry about uh, being able to get their, their goods onto air freights as well. Yeah, becoming increasingly complicated there. Uh, Eunice, thank you for bringing us that story. Eunice Yoon live at the Beijing airport. Let's now get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning to you. We start with the, com- the COVID summer surge that's not letting up. Earlier this week, the nation marked over 38 million COVID infections with over 638,000 deaths. Currently, more than 100,000 people are in the hospital being treated for COVID. 172 million Americans are fully vaccinated. That's just about 52 percent of the population. A late night Supreme Court ruling will end the CDC's eviction moratorium, putting hundreds of thousands of renters at risk of losing their homes. The challenge on the moratorium was taken to the Supreme Court by a group of landlords who cited that many across the country have lost as much as 19 billion dollars a month. The court's eight-page majority opinion said in part that the CDC's had exceeded its authority. But many, including President Biden, are condemning that decision. In a statement, the Biden administration expressed disappointment for the decision and is urging all entities, including cities, states, and local courts, to take action to prevent evictions. And a dangerous new challenge is flooding social media. It is called the Milk Crate Challenge. It involves trying to climb up and down a stack of milk crates, Many of the viral videos end with the participants spilling to the ground. So now doctors are warning people to sit out this challenge. TikTok has also begun banning videos of the challenge. So when it comes to that and those TikTok viral videos, Seema, maybe they should stick to, you know, the recipes, the life hacks, uh, hair and makeup tutorials. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the dances that we see, you know, everybody doing. I like the dances. All All about the TikTok dances. Francis, thank you. you. Good to see you this morning. Coming up, the latest on the developing situation in Afghanistan. We will talk about what happens next with Atlantic Council President and CEO Fred Kemp. Plus, oil prices are climbing this morning as a storm approaches the Gulf of Mexico production hub. We'll get the forecast for that tropical storm, Ida. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange. A developing story, President Biden vowing to complete the Afghanistan evacuation and hunt down ISIS leaders after yesterday's Kabul attack. These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans. We will get our Afghan allies. And our mission will go on. The head of the Atlantic Council, Fred Kemp, will offer his perspective straight ahead. FedWatch futures are pointing to a higher open ahead of a key speech from central bank 
Governor Jay Powell, plus from autos to computers, retailers to airlines, a number of industries are dealing with major supply chain issues. The latest commentary from CEOs and what the problems means for some well-known stocks that you may own. It is Friday, August 27th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. We are halfway through the show. Stocks breaking a five-day winning streak yesterday, but right now we could be in for a rebound here with the Dow currently up 108 points, S&P 500 higher by 14 points, and the Nasdaq higher by 50 points in pre-market trade. Energy is the best performing sector this week, up nearly 5%. And take a look at Brent crude, up another 1.3%, trading at $72 a barrel. Let's get right to the developing story this morning, an ongoing situation in Afghanistan, where 13 U.S. service members and at least 60 Afghan nationals were killed by ISIS suicide bombers and gunmen outside of the international airport in Kabul yesterday. NBC's Jay Gray joins us now with the very latest. Jay, good morning. Good morning, Seema. You know, before yesterday's attack, it had been 565 days since a U.S. soldier had died in Afghanistan. Now, in what's supposed to be the final days of evacuations, the mission has changed dramatically. The first blast was just outside the main gate at the Kabul airport. The second, near a crowded hotel about 100 yards away. The attack, one of the deadliest in the two decades U.S. troops have been on the ground in Afghanistan. More than 60 civilians killed, at least 13 American soldiers dead, more than a dozen injured. In the wake of the deadly rampage, the commander-in-chief showing a full range of emotion. They're the spine of America, the best the country has to offer. The pain of loss followed minutes later by the promise of justice. We will not forgive We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. ISIS has claimed responsibility for what it calls the martyrdom operation. U.S. military leaders warning. The threat from ISIS is extremely real. We expect those attacks to continue, and we're doing everything we can to be prepared for those attacks. While continuing airlifts, the White House saying around 7,500 people were evacuated in a 12-hour period after the attack. Still, though, more than 1,000 American citizens remain in the region, more than 100,000 Afghans who supported U.S. troops. The challenge is complete the extraction of U.S. forces and then deal with the consequences in a sensible way. And getting them out is going to be a lot tougher now. Yeah, the president says he will stick to his end-of-the-month deadline, and that means there's just four days now to get civilians uh, about 6,000 U.S. troops and all their equipment, Seema, out of Afghanistan. That, that's a, a difficult task. Yeah, and Jay, how is that evacuation process expected to change uh, following the attack at that Kabul airport? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it can't change that much because they have to go out of that airport. They can switch things up a bit on how they bring people in and where they do that. But otherwise, they're just going to have to continue to be diligent as far as these uh, attacks are concerned because the Pentagon, as as we just heard, expects to hear more. And and Biden expects to stick with that deadline. Jay, thank you. Appreciate it. And for more analysis on what the fallout could mean for that, that attack and how it could impact 
the pace of the evacuations. It's certainly a story we'll be watching very closely, and Fred Kemp will be joining us minutes from now. A quick look at markets right now. The Dow currently up around 99 points in pre-market trade. So we are set for a snapback. U.S. markets in focus ahead of Jay Powell. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, another airline is cutting back on flights. We're going to tell you why next. Plus, as we head to break, some of your other top stories Apple CEO Tim Cook receiving more than 5 million shares of Apple this past week to the tune of about $750 million. The tranche of stock is the final part of a compensation package that Cook received when he took the CEO job 10 years ago. And Tesla has filed an application with the Texas Public Utility Commission to sell electricity in the state. The application follows the start of a major battery build out by Tesla just outside of Houston. It aims to connect a 100-megawatt energy storage system to the Lone Star State's energy grid. Investors looking to bet on meme stock mania may soon have a new way to do so with the Round Hill Meme Exchange Traded Fund. It looks to track an index made up of stocks trending on social media. The ETF still needs regulatory approval by the SEC. We are back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's bring you up to speed on some of this morning's top stories with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Seema. Good morning to you again. Southwest Airlines says it's cutting some flights this fall as it continues to grapple with operation problems that led to summertime delays and cancellations. In a statement, the airline says that it will cut an average of 27 flights per day from September 7th through October 6th and 162 flights daily from October 7th through November 5th. Additional cuts are planned for the rest of the year. Those cutbacks are designed to help Southwest better align staffing with operations and allow hiring to catch up following a very difficult summer for the airlines. Speaking of catching up, one of the world's largest chip suppliers for cars and trucks says vital semiconductors and industry machinery for automobiles will likely remain in short supply through at least the next year. Japan's Rome company, whose customers include Toyota, Ford, and Honda, has been hampered by a severe shortage of raw materials since the pandemic began. The comments come as Ford plans to cut F-150 pickup truck production due to that global chip shortage. And Microsoft is warning thousands of its computing customers that hackers could have the ability to read, change, or even delete entire databases. According to the cybersecurity research company Wiz, the vulnerability which allowed Wiz to control access in key databases held by some of Microsoft's largest clients lies in Microsoft Azure's flagship Cosmos database. Security is a top issue these days, Seema. It is, and these hackers are just becoming even more and more sophisticated. I'm actually surprised we don't have more cybersecurity companies going public uh, this year, but uh, we'll have to save that for another time. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Yeah. Time now for your big money movers. Four stocks moving at this hour. And first up is HP, the PC maker, reporting better than expected third quarter earnings. But revenue missed. Investors may also be keying in on a decline in sales of printers, supplies, workstations and notebooks from the previous quarter. HP CEO says that's largely due to parts shortages and the company is selling everything it can to produce. Shares down 3%. Stock two is Workday, the business software maker's second quarter results, topping forecasts. And the company is raising its guidance for this year. 
The workday citing growing demand from larger enterprise customers. And the shares are up by around 6%. Take a look at Marvell Technology. Shares are down even as the chipmaker's second quarter numbers beat forecasts. The company also issuing a very bullish outlook for its data center business, which now accounts for about 40% of revenue. Finally, Oli's bargain outlet, the stock is tumbling as second quarter earnings and revenue missed. Analyst estimates, same store sales falling 28 percent from a year ago. The discount retailer also citing supply chain issues. That's been a common theme this earnings season. Stock down 14 percent. We're also watching Chinese Internet stocks. Been a highly volatile week. China issuing draft guidelines on regulating the algorithms used by Internet service providers to make recommendations to users. It is part of China's new efforts to protect users' privacy and data. The guidelines say service providers should not set up algorithm models that entice users to spend large amounts of money or spend money in a way that may disrupt public order. It said algorithms should not be used to create fake user accounts and that users should be given the option to easily turn off recommendation services. What does this mean for the stocks? Well, Alibaba and Didi are two major companies that use algorithms to predict user preferences and make recommendations. I think we're looking at Alibaba shares down just about 3% here. Uh, Didi Global up just about a half a percent. But uh, Alibaba's had actually had a positive week. On deck on the show, the Fed is the big story of the day. Chairman Jay Powell set to address Jackson Hole Symposium at 10 Eastern. We'll talk about the high stakes meeting with former Atlanta Fed head Dennis Lockhart next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Investors preparing for day two of the Federal Reserve's Jackson Hole Summit with Chairman Jay Powell in the spotlight. Powell set to speak this morning, offering the latest potential insight into the central bank's strategy to begin winding down its easy monetary policy. For more, let's bring in Dennis Lockhart, former Atlanta Fed president. And it's a pleasure to have you on. What are you expecting from Powell today? Well, I do not expect that he's going to elaborate on the taper uh, to to any significant extent. Uh, I think he'll use uh, his speech uh, possibly to talk uh, a bit more about the new strategic framework, the framework that was put in place last year. He may talk uh, uh, in in some way about the theme of the conference. The theme of the conference is unequal recovery and unequal effect of the COVID-19 events, as well as uh, the uneven economy uh, that we have been experiencing with or without COVID. Uh, So those are a couple of things that I think he might address, but I don't think we're going to get a lot of signal about the, the details of the tapering plan. Yeah, it was interesting. In the policy meeting back in July, in the, in the statement from the Fed, they said no decisions regarding future adjustments to asset purchases were made. And many seasoned Fed watchers, I'm sure, like yourself, saw that as a sign that they're not going to address the taper. Is that, is that your read as well? That's my read as well. I, um, you know, I went over the minutes fairly carefully. And of course, I've been in these meetings myself, so I have a kind of some feel for the progress they're making on a particular question. And I, my reading of the minutes was that they were still at a fairly early stage of, of uh, forming a consensus, and it's going to take a little bit longer, probably the September meeting. We may see something coming out of the September meeting, but they may go to October as well. 
So October is what you're expecting. Speaking of consensus, there was a lack of consensus from the Fed presidents that we that CNBC spoke with yesterday uh, on the trajectory of the economy, when to taper. I imagine that leads or makes it harder for Powell to demonstrate conviction when he speaks today. Well, uh, Chairman Powell is the only person who speaks for the committee. Uh, and therefore, I think when he when he lays something out, he will be explaining what he thinks is the consensus of the committee. And if there is no consensus of the committee, he, he may not be uh, very forthright in that respect. But he's a part of his job, uh, because it is a committee process, is is to form that con- uh, consensus, to pull that consensus together. Uh, so uh, the noise that we're hearing from, from all the uh, presidents who don't agree with each other is par for the course. I was part of that myself. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Jay Powell is going to be able to, at this stage, make a real statement of where the committee stands. We know the Fed has a dual mandate. They're squarely focused on the employment story and consumer prices, Dennis. But do you think geopolitics could be uh, addressed today by Powell? I doubt it. These kinds of speeches um, take uh, weeks to prepare because it's, uh, there's a lot of attention on the Jackson Hole speech and the events, uh, for example, the Afghanistan events that you covered earlier in the program uh, in the last few days uh, would not be something he would address. He will stick to economic policy, monetary policy, uh, and as I said earlier, perhaps the theme of this year's symposium. Markets have been um, continuing to build on their gains. We're set to close the week higher for the Dow, S&P and Nasdaq. I'm curious if Powell does suggest October um, on a potential taper, how the market could react. (laughs) How markets react um, depends a bit, I think, on expectations and what's already priced into the market. And, you know, I, I, I don't think the market has priced in a 100% assumption of, of a September tapering announcement. So the market reaction could be very mixed, but I'm not, I'm not a good person to predict the market. <laughs> Dow currently up 109 <laughs> points, actually, in, in pre-market ahead of Powell's speech. Your thoughts on how important this speech is, though, for Powell himself? I mean, he is up for renomination in February, and President Biden has yet, uh, yet to make it known his preferences. Well, it is is more important than perhaps uh, other uh, Jackson Hole speeches simply because of the timing. And this is one of the last few very, very public events that will help form the uh, consensus in the White House and and uh, in uh, in Washington over over Powell. My own sense of it is that there's a very high probability he will be reappointed. Uh, and I would support that tremendously. I, I think he's done an, a, an excellent job, particularly last, uh, not last March, but a year ago, March, March 2020, March uh, and early April, when the Fed moved so quickly to respond to the uh, to the development of the covid situation. And so I I, uh, I think there's probably uh, mm-hmm. greater than 50 percent chance that he's going to be re, uh, reappointed. Okay. We'll see if you're right. Uh, Dennis, thank you for lending your expertise this morning. Dennis Lockhart. Thank you, Seema. Thank you. And be sure to catch the lineup of Fed members speaking first on CNBC throughout the day, including current Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic, 
Philadelphia Fed Speaker President Patrick Harker, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, and Federal Reserve Vice Chair Richard Clarida only here on CNBC. Yet another developing story. This time it's Tropical Storm Ida threatening the U.S. Gulf Coast, and it could become a major hurricane before it makes landfall. Oil operators in the region are said to be evacuating their platforms. As to the market implications, well, oil has actually been on the move. It's up another percent this morning, uh, but higher by 5 percent this week. Let's get to NBC meteorologist Bill Karens with the latest. Bill. Hey, good morning, Seema. We just got the update from the Hurricane Center, and this is about as serious as it gets for the northern Gulf Coast, and it's unbelievable that we're targeting Louisiana again. I mean, last year they were hit by four and kind of almost five storms in one season. Uh, This time we're not targeting Lake Charles. This one could be a close call for even New Orleans. So right now it's got 45-mile-per-hour winds. It's a pretty weak storm, but it has to travel over the very warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. It looks ideal for strengthening conditions. We may even get rapid intensification over the next 60 hours before a landfall. This storm will likely be intensifying right up until landfall. So the Hurricane Center has it as a Category 2 with 100-mile-per-hour winds come Sunday at 1 a.m., then landfall Sunday either late afternoon or during the evening as a Category 3 with 115-mile-per-hour winds. If this thing can get its act together fast today... It's not out of the question this could be a Category 4 at landfall, or it could be down to maybe a Category 2 if we're lucky enough and it doesn't get its act together. But the Hurricane Center right now is saying Category 3 major hurricane near Homa or Morgan City, Louisiana. That puts New Orleans on the right dirty side of this storm, which would be the stronger winds and the heavier rain and the worst storm surge, too. Then the storm, as we go throughout the day on Monday, would kind of slowly weaken and be a big, huge rainstorm. So how certain are we where this storm is going? For this far out, we actually have an excellent agreement. Almost all of our computer models have landfall about 8 p.m. Sunday south of New Orleans, down on the central Louisiana coast. It could possibly be to the little right of that or to the left, but it's excellent agreement this far out. So we have hurricane watches that are up, extending from the Mississippi-Alabama border all the way to Cameron Parish, including pretty much all of Louisiana. And that area of red is the biggest issue, the storm surge of 7 to 11 feet possible there. And that would include the areas just to the east of Lake Pontchartrain and all along the Mississippi coastline. That would be a lot of water. And then the rainfall on top of that, look at this. That area of bright red down by New Orleans, widespread 8 to 16 inches, isolated rainfall totals of 20 inches possible. So this is about as serious as it gets, Seema. Today is evacuation day for those oil platforms, and everyone in southeast Louisiana needs to get all their hurricane preps done now because evacuation orders are probably coming soon. Bill Karens with the latest on that storm. Bill, thanks. Back to the developing situation in Afghanistan. Following those suicide bomber attacks at the country's international airport, for more analysis on what the fallout could be from this attack and how it could impact the pace of evacuations for both Afghan people and U.S. military operations, we are joined by Fred Camp, CEO and president of the Atlantic Council. Fred, good morning. Uh, President Biden receiving heated criticism from both Democrats and Republicans following his speech last night. I'm curious your reaction to the president's speech. Well, this that was yesterday was the worst day in President Biden's presidency. This was the worst week in his presidency. Uh, He's lost more people in one day than we've lost in Afghanistan, military people than we've lost in Afghanistan in 18 months. Uh, So he has to stay on track and he has to get the evacuations working uh, effectively and, and, and for it to continue to go. But the reality has sunk in that people are right, that uh, Afghanistan is going to again become a haven for terrorism. 
that the Taliban uh, either willfully or either it could not secure the perimeter of the airport or it chose not to secure the uh, perimeter of the airport. But either way, this is the new reality. And this will also encourage um, jihadists and, uh, and terrorists around the world. For them, this is God has spoken uh, and God is good. And now we're, we've had a big victory, one our biggest victory in decades. And it's time to, to build again. So it's, it's a little bit like 9, 10, 2001. If, the, if Al-Qaeda reconstitutes itself mm-hmm. again in Afghanistan, we're really back to square one. They say the enemy of your enemy is your friend, but this idea that relying relying on Taliban uh, for help in evacuating Americans, that's a, a hard concept to, to swallow. Your thoughts on whether Americans should be trusting the Taliban with this effort? Well, I, I've spoken to Pakistani officials about this, um, <clears throat> uh, high level on the government side, also on the intelligence side, and they are convinced that this is a different Taliban, that this Taliban will abide more by the Constitution, will look more after human rights of women. They certainly want to get uh, uh, credibility. And for your viewers, CNBC viewers, you've got $9 billion in currency reserves they want to get access to. They'd love to get access to $400 million of IMF drawing rights. To do all that, they have to play nice with the international community. The real question is, can you can you change the spots on the leopard? Uh, and I, th- I think we're seeing uh, the leadership wanting to do that, the leadership talking about that. But on the other hand, the whole nature of this uh, organization is to ally itself with al-Qaeda. It never admitted that al-Qaeda mm. was uh, a terrorist organization or even the, that it was involved in 9-11. So I think you're, it is not a totally coherent and cohesive organization. And I think you're going to see Afghanistan as ungoverned territory again, as it's been throughout centuries and, uh, and was under the Taliban the last time the Taliban ruled. Taliban controlling Afghanistan. They have some level of influence in Pakistan, whether the prime minister there, Imran Khan, wants to admit it or not. Where does that leave a country like India, uh, a Hindu state that's already been the victim of terrorism in the past? I've also uh, talked to uh, our partners in India in the past week uh, they're dispirited. Uh, uh, what, what does this tell you about your uh, strategic uh, partnership with the United States when you see uh, Afghanistan falling to the Taliban? The Taliban is uh, in alliance with uh, with your India's enemy, uh, Pakistan, though I must say I do believe the two countries should come to peace at some point. But uh, for right now, uh, India has to look at the United States and say, what really does this alliance bring us? What does this partnership bring us, at least in, in uh, Afghanistan? So they will have to decide, do we back the Northern Alliance? This is the alliance that still has is trying to re- reconstitute itself uh, again under the son of uh, the great legendary commander Massoud. Do we uh, work in intelligence against the Taliban? Right. It's also a decision we have to make is do we work with the Taliban, which right. we're doing now, or and, and, right. and trust them and work with them? Or do we just say, no, that's, that's a non-starter we have to work against? We have to leave it there. Fred Kemp, thank you. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.